I'm Christopher Calloway, and this is Creator Talks, the show where I interview writers and artists working in comic books and in other mediums. Today, I have a returning guest, Stephanie Cannon, along with Matt Knowles, talking about their time travel steampunk comic book, now on Kickstarter, Heirs of a Sealed Door. It is the first of a three-part series and it is connected to their 11-issue series, Tales of Nocturnia, now on its 10th issue. Together, Stephanie and Matt are known as a single brand, In Symmetry Creations. Stephanie catches up with us first about running her half marathon. Matt talks about heavy metal music as well because he used to be in a heavy metal band. Plus, they both talk about their unique way of promoting their product through cosplay and they will give us an update on the Emerald City Comic Con, all the fans, writers, and artists that they met. Plus, in my Kicking Back with the Creator segment, Stephanie answers more questions, and Matt takes his first crack at my fun questions that I ask all my guests. This episode is brought to you by The Comic Book Shop, located at 1855 Marsh Road at the Plaza 3 Shopping Center in Wilmington, Delaware, where comics are for everyone. Just be nice. You know, Free Comic Book Day is less than a month away, so I know I'll be at the comic book shop checking out the free comics and the other great back issues that they have. Please join me, Stephanie Cannon, and Matt Knowles, here now on Creator Talks. Steph, welcome back to Creator Talks. Hey, Chris. How's it going? Great. Matt, welcome to you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Steph, since we last spoke, which was episode 101, right after I hit 100, Woo-hoo. you had just finished your 14th half marathon. And if I'm correct, you recently finished your 16th? Yeah, it was 16. And since then, I've done another full marathon, too. So Holy cow. You know, <laughs> in my spare time. <laughs> <laughs> that last one was the end of the trail half marathon. It was, and the funny thing is, is that was the one that I did last year. It's the same time every year. So it was the one that I did last year, I think the day before we did our interview. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, so, but, you know, same time of year, so I make it a regular thing. What was your most recent race? That was that one, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was that one, yeah. So that's been three, four weeks, about three weeks, four weeks or so, right before I got, uh, in the midst of all this crazy traveling and cons here, so. Yeah, I think it was February 16th, because I was at the Acme Showcase when she was doing the half marathon. I was down there doing a show in Orlando. For the last few races she's done, I've been the one tasked with making sure that she's got some kind of post about every mile or so, so that she's got some encouraging <laughs> um, encouraging posts there waiting for her on her phone. So I went around to the show. There's creators there I'd never even met before, like Roland Mann and Richard Rivera from Stabity Bunny, and I'm like, Hey, I just met you. Let's take a selfie so I can send this to my best friend and, and uh, writing partner as she's running this marathon while we're right here. So this time, all of her pictures were like all these creators as I was going around to the tables, you know, saying, hey, person, I don't even know. Good luck. <laughs> Each mile I get a new picture. It's like, what are these pictures I'm getting? It took me a little bit to figure out. But yeah, it was it, uh, it keeps me going. So yeah, that encouragement's really nice. It's awesome. And he, he did the same for my uh, full marathon and sent me pictures, crazy cosplay pictures. My family and I emptied out our entire cosplay closet. We took 26 <laughs> different pictures of just every picture was like just getting more stupid and more stupid and all that. She had no idea we were doing it. And she was like, 
I kept on getting all these beeps and, <laughs> and I got to mile 17 and I was like, I got to check out, see what this was. And I cried right there in the middle of the oh, marathon. Yeah. <laughs> Anything unusual happening during the marathon? Any observations about this particular one that was different from the last time you did one? This one was pretty good. The thing that I thought was funny about this one is they were like, oh, it's net downhill. You said it's literally called mountains to beach. It's in Southern California. And so you think if you start in the mountains and end up at the beach, you're going to go downhill. And the first mile was this steep hill. And I'm like, why are they doing this to us in the first mile? I thought this was supposed to be downhill. But uh, yeah, when I talk about that race, the thing that I talk about the most is that Matt supplied me with pictures at every, every mile. That one was pretty good. It was in May of last year. So it was a lot warmer. The first one that I did was in the winter. So it was different weather. And it was right after there was some really terrible fires. Of course, California, you know, gets a lot of bad wildfires. And so I was a little concerned about what the scenery would be like. And we're running past these hills that are just charred because it was, I think, like three weeks after they they had contained this really bad fire. So, yeah, it was it was a little little surreal to be there during that time. You know, and those downhill runs, they're not as easy as people think. They really take a toll on your thighs and your knees. I mean, it's yep. it's pretty tough. I think I was more sore after that one being downhill than I was the other that was fairly flat. Because, yeah, you're using, and you've got to be careful because you can get injured, and it, you're going downhill for so many miles, and then you hit flat, and that's tough on your hips, it's tough on your shins, and that's where people kind of tend to get injured if you're not playing it safe. I can tell you a funny uphill-downhill story about Steph. We just did um, Emerald City Comic Con in Seattle, and we got invited to a secret after-party on Saturday. And I'm like, oh, it's within walking distance of the, of the venue, no big deal. So... We got all dressed up. Steph was dressed to the nines, had these boots on with some, you know, pretty, pretty steep heels on there that we had just gotten for the show. We walked to it and walking there was uphill the entire way. And it was some oh. steep grades <laughs> and, and Steph was having some troubles, obviously walking bit, up yeah. these uh, really <laughs> steep grades in these boots on the way back. We're like, oh, at least it's going to be downhill. And clearly the downhill all the way back was much more troubling to her yes. than the uphill in the boots because of momentum and having yeah. it, it was so yeah just another another example of the downhill you think it's going to be a lot easier in the downhill about rector yeah and that was after walking the con floor and our cosplay and our boots all day so wasn't the brightest idea but it makes for a good story <laughs> well i'm glad you brought up emerald city because i've never been i've heard a lot about it i might get there next year actually so Tell me about your experience, some of the things that happened. And I know that outside the con, you also had a chance to do some sightseeing. So let's start with just Seattle. Big picture. You had a chance to go around. So please tell me, what did you see? Well, neither of us had ever been to Seattle. I've been to Washington State before, but never Seattle. So that was both our first time. So we had, we were like, you know, we're at the con all day, but we got to try to do some of these touristy things. So, you know, we did the Pike Place Market. We were able to see the Space Needle. We didn't go up because it was kind of after hours. And and it was ridiculous. We didn't want to pay 27 bucks a piece just to go inside. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Hotel is practically as tall as that thing. So You're not renting. You just want to see it. <laughs> I know. Exactly. <laughs> so we, we got to do – we got to see a little bit of the sights. And, of course, you know, our, the hotel that we stayed at was the headquarters hotel. So we were about three blocks or so from the actual convention. So we got to see a lot of downtown Seattle strangely enough it never rained on us which i don't know how we spent five days in seattle and it didn't rain at all but yeah, fortunately but um eccc itself we really loved that was our first time there um we walked the floor this time we didn't have a booth but we definitely would go back and do yeah. a booth one of, one of the things that was interesting about eccc is 
by far covered the most ground I've ever seen for a con. I know that uh, people talk about Dragon Con in Atlanta that takes up basically four city blocks. It just is a big sprawling con. And this one was kind of the same way. There was a few a few decisions that they made that we thought were kind of odd. I mean, we understand that they had to do what they had to do, but the headquarters hotel was three blocks away from the actual venue. So at the headquarters hotel, you've got, you know, panels for stranger things and some other huge events going on, but to actually be at the con, you had to walk three blocks down the street to the venue. So luckily this year it wasn't raining, but we're like, man, if it would have been raining, all these people would have been out there in their cosplays getting completely soaked. Um, anytime that you went into the venue, you had to go back through security again. So mm. if somebody's like, Hey, I want to go check out stuff in the morning. And then I want to go over to a panel that's at the headquarters hotel, then come back to the main venue. They would have had to go through security checks twice. So there was little things like that that were odd. But one of the great things about that show is the, the sheer number of people that were there. There was, we estimated between six to 700 comic artists or writers or creators that were at that show. So it took four days for us to actually, we were still oh, meeting yeah. new people on the fourth day and having first time conversations. We had some people that we met, they wanted to take pictures with us all four days so they could get a picture with us in each outfit that we wore. <laughs> but yeah. we, we literally were meeting brand new people on the last day. So there were just so many people there and so many new people, new faces to be able to uh, interact with. So that was really, really great. Yeah, their artist alley is really impressive. I mean, it's we've been to LA Comic Con, we've been to, and I've been to San Diego. Um, and I'll, you know, we've got a couple of bigger cons that we're going to be to in the coming weeks, but we've never been to a show of that size and capacity. And the artist alley was just impressive. And it was really cool to meet. I mean, we met so many Twitter friends that we have, you know, mostly Twitter and some yeah. Facebook friends too, I yeah. think. Brian, Brian Polito, Matthew Ehrman's, Dirk Manning, yeah. um, could they sit here and list off, you know, um, Leanna Kingus, we can yeah. list off a ton of different people that we actually had good interaction with, not just, you know, smile and wave and kind of go on by, but um, actually sat there and had some really solid interaction with them. Leanna's wonderful. And actually I met her at my local comic shop, but then I met her at Heroes Con too. And she's very charming. And I noticed you also met uh, Matt Merrill Lowry, who was on the podcast. Sure did. Yeah. And that was fun because he and I have interacted on um, Instagram quite a bit. And he's a runner, too. Mm -hmm. So it was funny because he once he found out that I was going to be at ECCC, he said, you know, stop by and, and we'll, you know, we'll uh, exchange comics. We can talk, talk shop, talk uh, running. So it was funny when I met up with him and he, he was saying, because I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to run while we're there. And I like to run, you know, whenever I go somewhere, I like to run in new cities. But we were just walking the con floor for six to eight hours a day. It's just not conducive to running yeah, afterwards. And, and not shoes that right. were conducive to walking the floor. I mean, no. having steampunk, you know, boots and things like that with, <laughs> with flat heels on them were not designed for, I would say, probably six to eight miles a day in the building we were walking. Easily, easily. But yeah, he was he was great to meet. And um, yeah, we talked a little bit. He was, he was fortunate enough to get out there and kind of found some running trails. So he's like, if you're ever there again, I can tell you where to go. I'm like, all right, well, we're going to try to be there next year. So. <laughs> But yeah, he was. It was great to meet him. Try to get some running inserts, nicely cushioned <laughs> inserts for your uh, cosplay shoes before you go to the next con. <laughs> that, honestly, we went to the store yesterday and did exactly that. Yep. <laughs> 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 We're learning. Now tell me, was there someone that you met at the con that myself or the listeners need to know about? Somebody that we maybe haven't heard of that you were really impressed with their work. So I'm not sure if it's somebody that you would not have heard of, but Matthew Ermans was by yeah. far 
the coolest, most engaging guy in the entire show. And that's not to take away from anybody else, but his personality, you just want to see him succeed. He did a great little interview on the Sci-Fi Wire stage and literally every day he was like, guys, we have to take a selfie. I need a, I need a picture with you guys and what you're wearing with me. He was just so cool and just really engaging and um, made you want to root for him to see as much success as possible. Yeah, he was super humble and sweet. I mean, exactly how he is on Twitter. You know, he's got a book with Emily Pearson coming up and, you know, he and his wife Lisa have, you know, long lost and stuff. So it's, it was great to meet them, but it was great to see just how, how supportive and engaging and, outgoing and he's he's just one of those people that you meet and you're like i want to just keep talking to this dude because he's just so positive now you met a lot of your own fans too and they're fans of tell me if i say this right heirs of isildur it's heirs of a seal door so just think about you know like a seal oof, oof, on, okay. the, you know, on the beach and then he's going through a door, door. heirs of a seal door yeah. i dumbledorfed it sorry oh, um, <laughs> what is the profile of your fan or to put it another way what's the type of reader that likes your work, and what were they saying about it? Heirs of a Sealdor, we like to use the phrase, it's where steampunk comics and metal collide. Um, we've got a pretty broad fan base, and it's growing. When I say broad, I don't want to give the impression of, oh, we've got millions of fans all over the world, because that's not the case. It's a small fan base, and it's growing. But we've got typical comic readers. We've got the steampunk community, especially where I'm located in Central Florida. There's a huge... Uh, steampunk community, especially in the Tampa and Orlando areas. And that demographic normally is mid-40s to late-50s, which is very interesting because I come from a metal music background. Having somebody come up to our table that is a senior citizen and obviously older than that demographic, that is said, we've had senior citizens come up to our table and interact with us, and they're like, I want one of everything. And I'm like, uh, you do know that's an extreme metal CD. And he's like, yeah, I don't care. You know, you guys are cool. I want to support you. Give me one of everything on the table. <laughs> you know, we've got comic fans. We've got steampunk fans. And we've got uh, people that are fans of, of metal music as well that all kind of interact together. One of my favorite things about that when we when this type of subject comes up about airs is Matt was at a, a show last summer. He's from Ocala, Florida, and it was Ocala Comic Con. And this 10-year-old girl came around the corner, saw his booth, and freaked out that it was steampunk, and came over, she loved steampunk, and they bought the issues, and I think it was probably a few days later that her mom contacted Matt and just said, you know, you made really made an impression on her, and she, she feels like she doesn't fit in at school, and, and, you know, this comic, she just adores it, and, you know, it's something that she feels like she can be herself with, just based off of the story. It's fun to say that We've got people who are in their 80s coming up to the booth wanting to buy issues. And then we've got kids. That's the thing. Anybody can read it. It's not limited to a certain age group. So it's literally 10 to 100 could read this. I'll let you know when we have our first 100-year-old fan. <laughs> that is great. You have such a, a wide range of fans. That's fantastic. Now, you have launch plans set up for issue number 10. That's your next stop, isn't it, in Florida? Tell me about that next stop you have planned, that next issue, number 10, and how listeners can find out about the series and get a hold of copies. Sure, sure. So issue number 10 is going to drop at Spooky Empire Orlando, which is a Comic-Con, which is for the darker side, so to speak, is what they call it. So it's basically a horror movie convention. There's metal music and things like that. So like, hey, this fits in well. The last couple issues of Airs kind of touch on some, some darker topics. The way that I'll explain it is, Ayers is a 
time travel story in reverse. So instead of it being the main character, Michael Isildur, hopping into a time machine and has to get to 88 miles an hour and go back to the 50s so he can change time and or or whatever it may be, he is actually unintentionally found a machine that opens up a time portal and individuals from other eras are coming into his timeline. So through that, he's met a lot of individuals that have got some really unfortunate backstories. One of the characters was about to commit suicide before they were pulled through the portal. In issue 10, we actually, it's a domestic violence situation. And a lot of these stories have a truthful inspiration. Like it was actually inspired by a true story of a, of a friend of mine who went through a pretty wild situation where she, uh, was getting choked out by her boyfriend, whoever it was at the time, and she had to reach up and grab a fork and stab him in the face to get him to let go. Her story about what happened there inspired me to write a song that's on the album and the backstory for a character that comes into the Ayers universe at this time. And we had to be very careful with this story because we wanted to make sure that while one, we were true to the backstory of the character, we also were very sensitive about making sure that we only went as far as we needed to so that people could understand this person had a very troubling history. We didn't want to take it to the point where it became gratuitous because that's one thing you won't find in airs. Even if it's a a darker story or a tough story to broach, there's going to be tastefulness to it because we want people to want to read it. We want people to not feel like they are being cut off from being a potential reader because there is, is gratuity in there just for the sake of gratuity. Back to the show, we felt like issue nine, it's got some very dark backstory things that come up in issue 10, along with stuff being in the If Anthology from Alterna, uh, which is the horror anthology this year, we felt like those were all good titles that could actually fit in with our Extreme Metal CD at the show Spooky Empire Orlando. Yep, so we're going to be debuting issue 10 at the show for um, you know people that want to pre-order it. And actually, if they're local or just in town even and not local, they can come to the show and, and pick it up there. We did a, a variant cover for this show. It's only, only printed up 50 of them, so there's going to be 50 copies of this one, and that's it. That is only going to be available for the first time at Spooky. If we sell off them all there, great. If we have any left over, then you know, we'll sell them until we have no more left. Yep. And that's part of a seven-leg tour before your Kickstarter we're going to talk about in a bit. So you've been making several stops over the past few months. And uh, just before we started to talk uh, officially on the show, you mentioned battling off the dreaded con crud, yeah. being in contact with so many folks out there. It's been unbelievable. We did four different shows in February and they were all smaller shows, but they were all, I mean, no show is any less important than the next. Steph did a meetup with some heavy hitter comic creators in Los Angeles. And she was sick as a dog driving to that and had to battle every weather condition known to man <laughs> while she was sick. And then I did sci-fi Bartow, which is an outdoor festival. There was about 30,000 people there. And uh, my wife and my daughter and I all got food poisoning the next day. We all were basically, you know, one foot in the grave. We were so sick, had to suck it up because I had a next show that next Saturday and was barely able to make it through there. And then I got the flu that was going around. So, you know, we had all four shows in February. We were not at 100 percent. And even going into leaving for ECCC, I've been fighting off being sick for almost a month. Mm. So being at ECCC was the first time I actually felt better than 50 percent in in a month. Yeah. It's been wild. Wow. 
now I'm back. Now we're back from that. Now I'm kind of getting it a little bit, but you know, you got to just push through and then we're uh, downing the vitamins. So mm-hmm. that we've got, you know, like Matt mentioned, we've got spooky empire at Orlando this weekend. And then the following weekend, I'll be back in California at WonderCon. So hopefully by then, you know, I'll be feeling okay, but either way I can, I can uh, tough through it. Well, the Kickstarter is coming up after WonderCon and while that's running, are you going to both take a break for a while and recuperate before you get back on the road? So right now we have it scheduled where there's only one show that either of us is doing during the Kickstarter. We got Steph's doing WonderCon two days beforehand. And we had, we started on April 2nd specifically so that she had a day of being able to rest and recuperate and be able to get her mind focused for the launch. The only show that we're doing right now in between, I'm doing a Daytona Beach Comic Con on uh, April 12th. I'll be working in the panel room uh, with Indie Advocates. And uh, that's the only show we have up until uh, Megacon Orlando in May. So that that way, yes, we could uh, focus 24-7 on supporting the Kickstarter, making sure that we're not uh, shortchanging it while we are out there doing stuff with these shows. Yeah, I mean, it's no secret that doing a Kickstarter is a lot of work. And so we both collectively agreed that launching in March when we've got three shows and three weekends, you know, in three different states is yeah. not a good idea because we probably <laughs> want, we don't want to be like hiding off in a corner at the, you know, show floor at our booth trying to keep track of everything. So April, we're pretty much dedicating ourselves to uh, the campaign, but it's also good to get at least one little show in there so you can kind of get the buzz going in a different way than the social media word of mouth. Well, it's great that you're covering this from coast to coast. One has the West Coast, one has the East Coast. But collectively, together, if I understand this correctly, all of your work is falling under a social media umbrella, in symmetry creations, hashtag INSYM. Tell me why and when you decided, hey, it's time to create this umbrella social media identity for us. How did that conversation go? I was preparing for Aethertopia 2018, which is a up-and-coming steampunk festival in the Tampa Bay area. And I was trying to figure out who to take down to the show with me. My wife was going to go. My 13-year-old was going to go. But I wanted someone else that was going to be able to go and be a creator with me. And it was May 15th. Yep. And I talked to Steph, and I was like, listen, there's nobody else I trust with the Airs brand than you. And I know it's you know, kind of like a pipe dream, but I would sure love it if you were able to go to Aethertopia with me. She didn't bat an eyelash, and she was like, when is it? By that night, she was like, I'm getting my tickets. <laughs> and at <laughs> that point, we had a lot more chemistry than just being friends and... Fellow creators. Yeah, fellow creators. Shop, you know, that yeah. type of thing. Immediately, she actually became a part of the creative team with Ayers, and there were other things that we started doing. We started writing some other things together. Basically, we started just organically where, you know, if she had a title... She would ask my opinion on things. If I had something I was working on, I'd ask her opinion. And and they were like, you know what? We need to actually formalize this because to someone who's on the outside looking in, we didn't want them to have to go to a bunch of different social media sites if all they wanted to do was say, hey, look, I want to know what Matt and Steph are up to. Where can I go? Yeah. We thought it was not right for it to be just my social media or just her social media. So we said, hey, well, you know what? Once we came up with the name in Symmetry Creations and it's you know, the hashtag we are in sim is basically a play on words because we are in symmetry. We are in sync with just about everything we do. So, you know, we, we truly are the in sim and the in sim name. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was kind of, I think we came up with the name like June? in like a June. Yeah. yeah in like a day, it just sort of like very organically happened that we kind of were like, you know, we have the same goal. We want to do 
as much content creation as we can and how can we you know, if we're working together and going to all these cons together and co-writing together and um, involved in each other's projects, it might just be even a small capacity, but we don't want to create confusion for people going, well, how, how's the involvement here? So it's kind of nice. We, and so the way that we call it is it's our umbrella company for everything that we do, whether it's collectively or individually. We mentioned the hashtag. It's out there. So folks, you can see that on Facebook and Twitter as well. Yep. Yes. yes. Yeah. It's uh, hashtag InSim on Facebook and it's hashtag at InSim Creations yes. on Twitter. Twitter. Yep. Now the Kickstarter. We're talking before it launches. It's April 2nd. That's Tales of Nocturnia. And this ties into Airs. Tell me who the key players are and the basic theme of the book. Tell me about the devastation that takes place in the story. Can the people come together to overcome it? Okay, so in Heirs of a Sealder, as we stated earlier, we have individuals being brought from their own timeline that have normally been in perilous situations that get brought into the Heirs timeline of Michael Isildur. One of the things we don't ever get to explore is what happens in the timeline or the environment where these people have been being brought out of. And in issue six, a medieval king is brought into the steampunk timeline of Heirs of Isildur. This medieval king has just gotten done with executing his best friend and confidant for having an affair with the queen. Um, at the execution, the queen, who had begged for some mercy from the king, who got no mercy, decided that she didn't want to live in this environment. And as the blade for the execution raised, for the de for the, uh, the guillotine raised, she stands up from her chair, the blade comes down, she jumps to her death and lands on the same stage right beside the individual who's just been executed. So the king decides he's going to go off on horseback and go try to figure out how he needs to proceed because he's just lost his best friend and his queen didn't expect in his rage that he was going to be left alone. He gets pulled into the portal so our artist, Javi Lapara, drew a picture that is in issue six, where you've got the executioner looking back up towards the king's box. Even though he's got his hood on, you could just see that there's a look on his face like, well, what am I supposed to do now? And both Steph and I, you know, looked at each other when that panic came through. We're like, man, I wonder what's going on in that guy's head. What is this guy going to do? You know, he's got two dead bodies right there. And from that one panel, that helped us to create and craft the entire world of the tales from Nocturnia. You've got a kingdom where all of their leadership has been decimated. There are multiple factions that are vying for to fill that power vacuum. There are still some individuals that are like, the king just rode off. He'll be back. You know, we don't need to fill the void because the king's coming back. And there's others like, we don't care if the king's coming back or not. Look at what he did. There's others that believe the king has abandoned the kingdom and he'll never come back. So you have a bunch of different opinions and a bunch of different mindsets as to what we need to do, all while there is an imminent invasion from the forces of darkness that has been all the rumor that's supposed to be coming at some point inevitably to the kingdom. So you've got a whole bunch of back to a whole bunch of side stories and different character interactions as they're trying to figure out how do we come together before this invasion happens. Yeah, it was pretty cool how we really, you can boil it down to, it was like Matt said, one panel of this executioner that spoke to us both. For so we kept going back to, we kept talking about the executioner who was supposed to be this very minor role. And it just the birthed this story. I mean, neither of us kind of really expected it to happen, but once it did, it was like, this is how it needs to be. We need to tell the story. Yes. We got to give a hand to Javi for drawing and engaging 
scene and character that really just kind of imploded the side story yeah. that we came up with. Javi has a knack for drawing some of the most interesting things that you would just never expect. Like uh, we had a scene in issue nine of Airs where there was two characters that were talking for quite a long time and nobody really wants to see just the talking heads. And we didn't really know how to approach that scene Javi's like, oh, I'm going to draw one where there's somebody like from the perspective looking out a window from a building down on top of these guys. But then he also drew one where he's like, hey, instead of these guys standing there talking, all we're going to see is their feet because they're in an alleyway. And he's like, I'm just going to draw two rats. There's two rats. The panel's going to be two rats. You see the guy's feet behind him. But it worked. And it was just like it made it so interesting that he was like, let's focus on something that has nothing to do with these guys. Let's just draw something cool. And there's been so many little things he's done like that that has inspired our creativity because we're like, you know, we can think outside the box a little bit. And we will say when issue 10 comes out, Javi and his rats and drawing little things like that have have started to become a little bit of a calling card because there's another scene in issue 10 where he just kind of randomly drew some some animals, you know, while while something else was going on. And we think we think that might become one of our little things right, as we this go might along. Be a, might be a little theme, you know, and that's the that's the great thing about Javi. And I kind of had the same thing with some of my shorter because he, he did my one page comic Boot Hill, which was kind of the first thing that I ever comically worked on and put out. A lot of my shorter comics, he's done the same thing where the, he's drawn a sign and the title goes on the sign. So so Javi has a way has a knack of doing something that is so engaging that you just want to just have it <laughs> every single comic in one way. It's like a little Easter egg, maybe. So tell me about the comic, who's working on the book, of course, yourselves. And it is Javi who's doing the art on Tales Nocturnia. That's the three of us that are working on it. We always like to say that, you know, even though we call ourselves co-writers, which we are, there's always has to be somebody in the proverbial driver's seat because you can't have two co's. So on Tales from Nocturnia, I'm in the driver's seat and stuff is more so in the passenger seat. But at the same time, Steph is the one that has the map just because I've got the wheel at my hands. Doesn't mean that it makes my role any more important than hers. We just know that if there's a creative decision that needs to be made and somebody has to make it, then it's normally going to fall into my lap. But every line that goes onto the script, we talk about every panel that comes in as we, as we went to start this interview, Javi just sent us one of the first pages of the actual roughs for the issue. He's been working on character designs and, and things like that up to this point. But um, we talked through every single panel. We talked through every single thing that Javi does. So it truly is a, a group effort, even if it's the group of two on this side, to make sure that the book comes out the way that it needs to. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Team effort on everything that we do. And and co-writing, is, it's funny because we've, we've had that question come up a lot recently it's like oh how do you co-write and we feel like i think it's different for everybody that does it but we found a really good groove that we have and you know we've got a title with alternate comics that is coming out in 2020 that is based off of the two-pager titled hexed that i did um that was an it came out on a wednesday issue number one it was my concept because i wrote it before i matt and i ever even met but now we are co-writing this three issue miniseries and so it'll kind of be the opposite of what Nocturnia is where you know I'm in the proverbial driver's yes. seat a little bit and he's you know helping me navigate I think one of the the key things for Steph and I when it comes to being co-writers and being fit we always say we always like to say we're 100 percent 50 50 in all that we do neither one of us has aspirations to branch off from what we're doing to do bigger and better things we want to do bigger and better things together I came from 
toiling in the underground of the metal scene for many, many, many years. I had a band that released five CDs and we did very minor things. We had some fun in what we were doing, but I got to see all too often there were far too many individuals that got into a band that were trying to use it as a stepping stone to get to the next thing. And that's tough when you can't feel like the person that's right there as your advocate is not there to truly be your advocate. They're there to use you to be able to step on your shoulders to get to what they think the next best thing is. And I think that's the key for us when it comes to being involved and being partners in all these projects is that I don't really care if I get appropriate credit or, you know, she doesn't care if she gets appropriate credit as much as we care that people like our stuff. Because if people like what we're doing and they're picking up our issues and they're engaging in our stories, then we both win. And that's the most important thing to us. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's a team effort no matter what. And, you know, neither of us is, is interested in in getting more accreditation than the other one. I mean, that's just not what it's about at all. We're talking pre-launch. So about the book itself, please share what you had planned as far as formatting and length. Right now, the the initial plan is we've got the bones for a three-issue miniseries. And we we will always leave it open for... The potential to be more. It's just the way that we operate. The miniseries is going to, you know, be on an alternative that was based on the hexed two pager. You know, there's a little bit of an opening at the end there if we wanted to do more than three issues. Airs is 11 issues, and it's the sequel for that one is already ready to go. So even though we say it's going to be a three issue arc, that could change based on the support that's there as we get to the the later issues. You know how things organically just kind of take on a life of their own. How much story is there that we want to tell? As are there, are there more things that we could potentially tell from this story? But for now, for now, the arc is going to be three issues, and then we'll see where we go from there. Our first Kickstarter, but we have done months and months of research, and we have talked to. A lot of different people who have had really successful campaigns, Charlie Stickney, Madeline Holly-Rosine, Dirk Manning. Dirk Manning, a lot of people who know what the heck they're doing. And so for newbies, so to speak, like us, we have glommed a lot of helpful advice from them. So we feel really confident in going in, even though it's our first, but... Of course, you know, we'll always say, you know, it depends on, you know, how many backers we get and the success of the campaign. But but we're yeah. really excited about getting it out there for people to see. Yeah. And one of the things we think will hopefully play in our favor is that a lot of times when individuals put up their first Kickstarter, they haven't released anything before that. And they have not shown that they have the ability to actually deliver yet. With us, it's the complete opposite. Like I said, we're getting ready to go release the... 10th issue of airs, which is completely self-funded. All the money has come out of my pocket and Steph's pocket. We've done all the, all the working with the artists. We've done all the printing. We've done all the distribution. And so we've already shown that we can create and distribute and fulfill on orders throughout the whole run of airs. So hopefully that will play in our favor and people will be able to have confidence that if they go and back us, that it's a project that is actually going to be in their hands when we say it is. Yeah. Having been through it in a different way where we're having to produce an issue and ship it out and, and that type of thing, like Matt said, I think that will be to our favor. Hopefully people will see that and know that they're going to get the get the book and all the re- other rewards in their hands when we say. Barring any unforeseen circumstances like, you know, natural disasters. Natural disaster. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's just Florida, so, you know. <laughs> now, just so I understand, just for clarification, is this Kickstarter for one of the issues or more depending upon how it does? This Kickstarter is for the first issue, and there is a possibility that we may have some higher level tiers 
that may have the opportunity for someone to be able to buy their way into inclusion in issue two. But for the most part that we are going to handle our Kickstarters, if we were to have more than this one, you have to have a plan. And if this one works, our plan is that it would all be individual issues as we go. Even if we did a trade, it would still be a trade that would have, even if there was all the heirs issues or all of the Tales from Nocturne issues, there would still be a Kickstarter for one physical entity yeah. that would be involved in that Kickstarter campaign. Yeah, so for now, it's issue by issue with the possibility of a trade later on. And have you worked out any of the rewards that you can share right now? Right now, the main things that we know we're going to do are obviously the issues. We will offer people to have the ability to find a way to be able to get themselves into the issue. We have a couple of pretty interesting things that we're, we're debating right now about how that could happen. Probably have some things like buttons and bookmarks. We do have some other higher end collectible items that we have talked about. Not sure if we can really talk about them on the show right now, because by the time this is on, we may have, may have decided we don't want to do that. Some things that could deal with leather crafting, stuff like that. Some leather crafters that might be able to do some medieval looking things for us, but we haven't really decided on that just yet. One of the fun things that we did with a, a past issue is we had people drawn into, the scene was a festival, and so there was an opportunity to draw a lot of people in. And Matt had the idea very early on Instead of drawing all these random people, how fun would it be to draw people we know or fans or whoever that want to be in the issue? And so Javi ended up drawing, what was it, 33? 33 people into the <laughs> issue, 32 of them had signed releases. The only one who didn't know he was going to be the issue was my 85-year-old dad. We have video of my dad opening up the issue and seeing himself in the issue. He's like, hey, look at that old codger in the issue. <laughs> he was tickled pink about that. And in that same issue, the, the 10-year-old girl that we brought up earlier her parents had signed a release and got her in the issue. So within the span of a couple of days, we had a video of a 10-year-old opening up our issue and losing her mind about her being in the issue, as well as my 85-year-old dad. So that was just great to be able to see those two yeah. people have the same reaction to what we were doing. I'm in the issue. Javi drew himself in the issue. Our families, our kids are in the issue. So it was a really fun thing that we did. It's a cool thing to say, hey, look at this comic that I'm drawn into. And we loved it so much that... We definitely want to do something similar for Nocturnia as, as a reward. Um, we've seen that there's been a lot of Kickstarters who had success with that, whether it's being drawn in or you are a side character, you know, in the issue. We've seen a lot of cool things, and we definitely want to kind of keep with that and add that as a reward for this one. When this does come out, and in this podcast, this interview will be out when the Kickstarter is live, usually it's about 30 days people have to from April 2nd to commit and make a pledge. So all the details will be out there at that point, locked down. And of course, I'll have a link in the show notes and it'll be pretty easy to find on Kickstarter just by searching by title or by creator for that matter. Before we get to kicking back with the creator and going through some fun questions, and this kind of segues into that, I just wanted to go back to Ayers, Matt, and talk about the accompanying soundtrack, the music. Did you create all of that music? Yes. As I said, my, my background came from being in the music world. And I actually took quite a few years off. I was in a band with a couple of pretty heavy hitters, uh, especially one named Sean Tibbetts, who's now the bass player in the band Camelot. Um, he's been in Camelot for a decade. Our band just wasn't really doing anything at the time. You know, we were we ran into just a ton of brick walls. And he had the opportunity to go rejoin Camelot and go, I mean, he literally right now is on a, on a world tour with Camelot and things have just fallen apart. And I decided, you know what? I need to just step back from content creation. Next thing you know, it's seven, eight, 10 years later. I always had that gnawing inside of me that I wanted to get back into creating. I had a series of events happen that 
kind of pushed me over the edge and I was like, yep, yeah, I need to make it happen. Um, sat down with my wife and talked about what I wanted to do and told her that, you know, cause I referee a lot of soccer games. I've refereed about 4,500 soccer games in my life. And that's just my side hustle. And, um, I saved a lot of the soccer refereeing money, put it off to the side. And before I started recording the album, I said, look, I want to have money saved to the side. So that way I can finish whatever I start. It started off, I just, you know, built a brand new system, got some software for the music and started just writing a couple of songs. And I had no real intention on what I wanted to do. I would just had an open slate. I wanted to write, I wanted to have a steampunk vibe to the look of it. And the reason why was because a lot of these songs came from pieces I had written years ago, whether it be a musical riff, normally it was coming from lyric pieces. And I would take those and repurpose them and use them in the new music. And to me, that's a lot of what steampunk's about, taking something that's old, repurposing what's there and making it into something new and, and futuristic. So I kind of felt like steampunk spoke to me there. And then as time went on, you know, a couple of songs turned into a four song EP, turned into an album, turned into I want to write a little steampunk story that went alongside of it was a couple thousand words, then 10,000 words, then 54,000 words. And then it turned into an ebook and into comics. And the way that the album interacts with the story is the storyline for Ayers unveils like a vertical line throughout the comic issues. The songs on the album will interact at horizontal points. So for instance, the first individual that comes through a portal um, that comes into Michael Isildur's timeline, his name is Shiver. And he has part of his, part of his backstories in the issue but there's a little note there that says, hey, if you want to know more about this character, Shiver, go to the song Shiver on the album. And you could hear a little bit more from a lyrical standpoint about what this character went through, and what was going on in his mind or what was going on in his environment before he was brought into the story. Yeah, it's a very unique way to provide uh, a little bit of background information. I, honestly, I was kind of a fan of Ayers. I mean, Matt and I met and were content creator friends. At the time, I think there were three issues out or the third issue was about ready to come out. Third issue was about to come out, yeah. And so he sent it to me and I was like, wow, this is really unique. I don't know of anybody else that's doing exactly this. I mean, there are similar things, obviously, but that was kind of one of the things that drew me to Ayers is that it was a very unique offering that a lot of people can't find anywhere else. Like that multimedia experience and getting more depth behind the character by listening to the music and listening to the lyrics. That's very cool. Absolutely. So as we go into kicking back with the creator, I think, Matt, we've touched on some things that you like to do for rest and relaxation. Now, Steph, last time we spoke, it was family, video games, going through the foothills, hiking, running, of course. Yep. Matt, how about you? What do you do to rest and relax? Well, rest, I don't even know what that word is. Um, I'm a referee, a soccer referee, and I've refed about over 4,500 games. So I'll do that, and that's something where, to me, if you can get able to get out there and run around and make some money while you're doing it. I look at it like if you were to go to the gym and you were to leave and somebody was to hand you a stack of money as you were leaving, and every time you left the door, you'd turn right your butt right back around, go pump some more iron and walk back out the door again as they hand you more money. So that's something that I do um, when football season is in town. I mean, I'm a huge sports fan, whether it's Miami Dolphins, NC State Wolfpack, Miami Heat, always watching sports, playing fantasy sports, you know, whether it's pro or college fantasy football. I run a youth soccer league um, that just started the season uh, last week, try to keep myself active uh, because I spend so much time in front of a computer that I need to get it out there and get active so I don't become a gigantic beefalope. And, uh... <laughs> so in other words, he's really busy even when he's relaxing. <laughs> I always have to ask people about 
when they were younger, back in middle school, they had posters and pictures on the bedroom walls. What were they? And Steph, for you, it was Jurassic Park, Jaws, <laughs> or Paws, together, Jurassic Park and Jaws. <laughs> Matt, what were your pictures and posters on the bedroom wall? Tons of metal posters. And it was like, probably, I would say I probably had just a, a crap ton of flyers from metal bands. I've been into metal as long as I can remember. I was, you know, a red-blooded <laughs> kid in middle school. I definitely had some Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue <laughs> posters up there. Samantha Fox. I mean, come on, man. Middle school, come on. Now you had to. You right. had to. <laughs> uh, you know something I will say? I can't believe you almost forgot this. In middle school, I also would have had Legos all over the place. Oh, I still mm. have every Lego I've ever had in my entire life. <laughs> Um, yes. I've got my living room has got about 85,000 Lego pieces in there on display. That's not a over exaggeration. There's about 85,000 in there. Um, all of the Lord of the Rings and Hobbit Lego sets are on a big 16 foot shelf. There's some that are hanging from uh, fishing wire from the ceiling, all LED backlit. Um, so yeah, there's a there's a huge shrine of display Legos, you know, all over my living room. Yeah, there are literally people that are friends that will come over and say, "I want the tour," and so he'll give them the tour. My, of the uh, living room. my my youngest knows to uh, whenever they come over, like we always tell the relatives. I've got a lot of nieces and nephews. They're coming over to the museum, so she will stop them at the door and she'll be like, "Okay, so what do you guys do at the museum? You know, you look, you don't touch." So they literally <laughs> come over with their little cameras and they'll take their pictures and not touch the Legos. So. <laughs> So you must be a huge fan of the Lego movie. Oh, dude, huge, huge fan, huge fan. Yes. That's yep. a great movie. That's a classic. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Already. Absolutely. Now, thinking of a hypothetical situation, the desert island question, if you were stuck on a desert or deserted island, what is the one book you want to have just for pleasure? And, you know, Steph mentioned The Long Halloween. Perhaps The Martian to be a little more practical to figure out how to get off because he could survive, right? Yes. But just for fun, like, what would you want to be able to read? Because you're going to read it for a while or over and over again. Man. <laughs> Man, I'm not even sure. I would, I would probably, I would probably pick the biggest compendium or trade of something that I could just so I had a lot of variety in there. Because if I read the same story over and over again, I'd probably lose my mind. I'd want to have something so it would spur my creativity so I could go make some sandcastles or something like that. I'd be like, I made this whole this whole city block out of sandcastles or something like that. And then over here, I got this medieval kingdom. That, that's probably the kind of thing I would do. You need something with choose your own ending so you can pick a different ending each time. There <laughs> you better you believe go. that. You better believe that. <laughs> now, if someone were to make an action figure of you, what would be your accessory? And Steph, you said, of course... Running shoes. Yes, that's still true. <laughs> right right now, an action figure of me would be me looking like Michael Isildur because the character was actually based off of my cosplay. I cosplayed the character. I said to the artist, I said, this is what we want the character to look like. So there's times, many times people ask me, is this you in the story? And I'm like, no, it's not me in the story. It's his own character, but it just makes it super easy to cosplay it when it's based off of me in the first place. I think too, because if you go to any of, any of our social media, especially this past at ECCC, you'll see that there's a theme that Matt and I have a signature pose that we do yes. and all of our pictures. So I would say now that there would be the box with like the double action figures. In I was it. just going to say my accessory, <laughs> my accessory would be, would be the, the mini me over here of Steph. That would probably be my accessory. <laughs> my accessory would be, would be my partner in crime. <laughs> so, and we would be doing our signature pose, which his is the death metal orange, as they call it, where you put your hand out and your hand looks like it could be holding an orange. And mine is the point. I don't know how it just organically happened that we do this in every picture now, but 
if you were to see a box on the on the toy shelves, that's exactly what our figures would be doing. And, and one, one of these days that will happen. We will make sure that there yes. is a we, we will make sure that there is whether it's just for us or if it is for <laughs> for purchase outside of us or it is like a super high tier on a Kickstarter campaign, you're going to be able to get. <laughs> You're going to be able to get the, the Matt and Steph action figures. The stretch goal. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's, I'll tell you what, that is great promotion. Going around circulating the floor dressed as characters from your own work. Based on you, that's really smart. I like that. Something fun happened at LA Comic Con and the same thing that happened almost at Seattle. We we're just there. So in LA, we were talking with uh, David Lucarelli. We spent the vast majority of probably at least an hour talking to him on Friday. And we always try to go the first day dressed down, you know, air shirts and, you know, matching hats. So we still kind of twin, but we are just there so we can actually be comfortable. After that, we go in, in full head to toe steampunk. And we spent a ton of time with him on Friday. We saw him on Sunday and was like, in he, steampunk. In steampunk. And he spit taked. And he was like, are you guys cosplaying characters from your comic? And we're like, yeah. And yep. he was like, he's like, I've never seen somebody do that before me. He was just dumbfounded in, in the nicest of ways. But then we kind of thought about it after he made that comment. We're like, there's like nobody else in here yeah. that's actually living what their creation is and bringing the creation out into the floor for people. And, and it was really cool. So we really try to make sure that we do that. And then we're at Seattle this past weekend and we were there. Was it Saturday that it happened? Yeah, it was like the busiest day. So the we're busy, trying to get through these crowds. Barely even able to move because there was like everybody in the whole state was there. And somebody walks past us and he's like, I'll turn to comics. You need to sign my book. I mean, he was like, because we're there and he's seen pictures of us or seen us on Alternative Comics Live. Recognized us. He yeah. knew exactly who we were. He, As soon as we did, he pulled out his copy of Anthology for Steph to sign it. And we're like, that is so dang cool that, you know, we've got recognizable personalities at these shows, whether we're at a booth or whether we're walking the floor, that people can can say, hey, these guys are having fun. That's Total. how I've always looked at it. These guys are having fun. I want to have fun with them. Total bucket listing for us and for me to get recognized and have somebody bust out the book and be like, sign this for me. It's like, wow. Now, next question. What is your beverage of choice? Steph, for you, Blue Moon, a lager, or nice Mexican beer? Matt, how about you? I will say that first, I think Steph may end up changing this. She's yes. had some, some time to think uh -huh. since the last time. But for me, and this may sound silly, for me, it's water. Because... I do so much athletic stuff. I'm a split personality. I'm Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. I either want to eat really, really amazing or I'm going to go eat like an entire cake by myself. There's like not an in-between. <laughs> I'm either going to eat amazing or I'm going to eat complete garbage. So I always try to drink as much water as I can because as a referee, you can do 25 to 30 miles on a weekend and you can't do that if you're not hydrating appropriately so yeah i mean for me water is my thing yeah and the funny thing is now i would say it's coffee because mm. <laughs> we're not getting much sleep we are working i mean matt and i because you know i'm in california right now and he's in florida so we spend the majority of our day we like to say it's like if we were in cubicles together in the same office we're on video chat working together it's just easier that way there are times when we're reaching the end of an issue and i'm you know, editing pages and we're trying to get this to the printer in time that we're up. I mean, late. I mean, yeah. we've got a three hour time difference, but our schedules are the same. Yeah. And I'm up early to run and I'm staying up late. I don't recommend that. Yeah. <laughs> it's probably not the healthiest thing in the world. Yeah. So honestly, coffee now is what is keeping me upright. Most yeah. Days. On, a, on a normal day, she's up at six her time. I'm up at nine my time and I go to bed about 3 a.m. my yeah. time and she goes to bed about midnight <laughs> her time. A lot of times we'll eat dinner at the same time or lunch at the same time, even though we have a three hour gap between us. It's just our schedules have gotten so 
we made it very much in yeah our schedule have gotten so so in sync they're so in sim because we know we need to be able to do that to be able to crush all these titles we're trying to do and do the stuff we want to do we got to have as much time to make it happen as possible so our advice is if you're going to uh make comics stay hydrated and have a lot of caffeine (laughs) all right now these are new questions so for each of you think back what was the most memorable or favorite birthday you ever had and why oh my gosh okay let's see i want to say that and it's funny because there wasn't anything spectacular that happened but i'm gonna say that this last birthday was probably my favorite just because i am at a point now you know and i think we talked about in the last podcast it's 12 years now because my oldest daughter is 12 years old I spent a lot of time as a stay-at-home mom, always wanted to be a writer, and I never imagined that I would be at the point in my life where I am now, where I am getting to create stories that people are stopping us in the middle of the con to ask us to sign, and traveling all over the place, and getting to meet new people, and I'm doing it all with my best friend and my writing partner, and I'm just at a really good point in my life, so this last birthday was just a few months ago. But it was kind of a normal day. You know, I like to go out to dinner and just kind of keep it calm. But it's the fact that there's so many other great things going on. That would be my answer, I think. I have to answer two. One of which was because of something that somebody did for me. And one of which was because of something that somebody else actually did. I know this sounds like the same things, but they're not. So a couple of years ago, uh, my wife and an old friend of mine, they took pictures of my office and they decided they were going to go get a steampunk cake made for me. I had no idea. And they made this cake, uh, fondant cake, that had like all these things from my office that were in steampunk. And they brought the cake. We were at a sports bar watching a Miami Dolphin game. And they had the person bring this steampunk cake into the sports bar. And I'm like, what the freak is this? And a cake costs like a hundred bucks to just make this. So it was a really cool cake. And I was like, that was actually pretty awesome. And at the time, that was the best birthday I had until this past birthday when somebody decided to make sure that one of her trips to Florida uh, was scheduled around making sure that she was actually here so that we could actually spend my last birthday together. And so that by far has become my favorite birthday. I don't know who he's talking about that crazy trip. <laughs> somebody who's somebody gonna have an action figure with me one of these days. <laughs> next question, what is the oddest job you've ever had? And I don't mean necessarily comics. I mean, it's just something that you did to pay the bills. It was a little different, a little off the beaten path. What was that job? I would say, as far as I don't know if it's necessarily odd, but when I was, gosh, I don't even know, to be honest, I was probably like 15. I had like a little summer gig working at a dog grooming shop where I got to wash <laughs> dogs and cats. And I, I actually have like battle wounds still I'll bet. <laughs> from that job where I was like bit in the face by a dog. And oh. then like, I mean, it sounds crazy, but you know, when you're a teenager and you're kind of doing this, To be honest, I think I was kind of paid under the table, which I probably shouldn't even say, but I had some pretty standard jobs. You know, as a teenager, I worked in a movie theater. I mean, it's a pretty cool gig when you are on summer vacation, 17 years old, and you're working with friends at a a movie theater and getting to uh, hang out in in the theater and watch movies afterwards for free and stuff. So it's not necessarily odd, but definitely one that has a lot of memories attached to it. I would say for me... 
and I know I've already mentioned a couple times, some of the things that have happened while I've been a soccer official, my wife, my son, my youngest daughter, we all four referee and being able to be on the field and actually ref with your family where the whole crew is just your last name. But I think that one of the, the things that makes being a referee interesting, and this is going to sound odd, and I don't mean this to sound morbid. I've seen some pretty wicked injuries on the field. And when you are the center official in a game, you have a lot of legal responsibility in that position. If somebody gets injured, um, you have to write legal documentation up because it becomes part of their their file and part of what file is filed with the insurance claim. I mean, I've seen people get their legs broken. I've seen people get kicked in the head by their own teammate. I've seen just some really weird things. And knowing that you have to immediately take off the referee hat and help to console whether it's that person or the other teammates when they see a, a catastrophic injury happen to somebody, know that you've got a responsibility then to help this person who's just out there playing some recreational soccer to help them to make sure that their insurance goes through correctly because that could change their life. And if you don't file that properly, they could not get their insurance claim and that could screw up their job and it could screw up their ability to actually pay their bills. And, and it's just been very interesting the kind of things that you see come up when you're when you're uh, refereeing soccer like that. Yeah, I feel, I feel like it's pretty common for him to be off the grid in a way on a weekend and be like, yeah, you know, I was, you know, late coming back from halftime because I had to call the ambulance again. <laughs> I feel like oh. it's, there's crazy injury all the time. I mean, it's it's rough. Well, uh, on that note, final question. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what is, in your opinion, the best metal band ever? And Steph, I don't know if you're a metal fan. I, I assume you are. Whoa. But your opinion. Wow. Whew. I'll let Matt think about that. Well, it's funny because we were just actually talking about this earlier today about bands that we listened to in high school and middle school. I wasn't a huge metal fan. It wasn't that I didn't enjoy it. Whether personally, because he has toured with them in his past when he was in a band, he has introduced me to some bands mostly from European countries that I would have never have known existed if it wasn't for him. And so it's really cool. And some of them are running songs that I listen to now. For me, I'm a newbie and I'm I'm like, you know. But she's of, also a straight up metalhead too. I'm telling you right now, man. Yeah, she gets down at shows, man. We've been to a show together, but yeah. um, I absolutely adore Orphan Land. So if I was to pick one right now, that's who I would pick. But Matt, what, what are I you would say, say it'd be difficult for me to not say Elevite from Switzerland. A couple of reasons why I say that because they were just so influential in my life. When uh, my old band, we were signed to a label out of Holland. Elevite was signed onto the same label. The people in that band had never met anybody from the US. I never met anybody from Switzerland or Croatia, which is where they all were from. And we got put on a tour together. So the very first people that they ever met from the States was these ridiculous <laughs> knuckleheads. We actually changed their thoughts about what Americans were. Um, there was a few of them that were like, you know, we, we just watched the news and we saw all this terrible stuff and we hate America and we you know met you guys and you guys are some of the coolest people we ever met. But on that tour, my old band released their last album, it ended up being their last album. On that tour, they released their first album, Spirit. And watching where Elevite has gone, they are the biggest folk metal band in the world right now. They've put out a lot of albums. They've spawned a lot of other bands. I'm still in contact with many people that I'm still friends with to this day from that tour. They are very influential in the music scene as well and uh, very original. If you go back and listen to their discography, um, you'll see that there are a lot of bands and a lot of genres that have spawned from them. I mean, you can say the same thing about Black Sabbath and Iron Maiden that, you know, everything can be traced back to those roots. 
any band that's using a flute or a violin or a hurdy-gurdy or bagpipes okay. in their metal music probably has got some kind of influence from the band Elevity. And I, I think that's probably one of the ones for me that I would say goes up there in that top echelon. Oh, very good, because I haven't heard of either one of them. So there's something I can check out. Orphaland is from Israel, and their music is unbelievable. And they are all about... We don't care about any of the political dealings that are happening in this area. We just want to make good music and yeah. support our fans. Yeah, that's what I appreciate about them. And Matt, what was the name of your band? My old band was named Royal Anguish. There's some stuff out there from us. Not my favorite stuff in the world nowadays because the staying power just wasn't there. But obviously, you know, the stuff that I like the most now is theirs because you yeah. know, that's the stuff I hear all the time. <laughs> <laughs> all right, then. Well, folks can look for that Kickstarter coming up. The tie-in to Ayers, Tales of Nocturnia. April 2nd, and then you can see all the backer rewards, and don't wait too long. Thank you so much. Yeah, we really appreciate that. We hope everyone um, will check out the campaign and support it, because we feel like we've got a really great story to tell. Absolutely. Thank you both so much for being on Creator Talks today. Thanks for having us, and it was great to be on again, Chris. I always enjoy it, and um, and it was a lot of fun. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Thanks a lot for taking the time, and uh, hope that you decide to check out some airs. We sent you a couple of the issues, right? You have. So yeah, I hope you uh, want to check out the Tales from Nocturnia story as well and to have some fun with us. Maybe maybe you might find yourself getting drawn into an issue. <laughs> oh man, that'd be scary. <laughs> <laughs> I will. Thanks. Appreciate it. Coming up next week, I have an artist joining me, Greg Paprocki. He was referred to me by my son who picked out his book in my local library. He grabbed a copy of G is for Go-Go, an ABC's book, the theme of which is the 60s. Greg has also done A for Adam, which is based upon the Atomic Age, the 1950s, and many other ABC books, and he is also currently the artist on Curious George, and he also worked on Curious George's Big Book of Curiosity. He has done a lot of really cool and great commercial work, and I just love his art style. We will discuss his commercial artwork and how his style has evolved over time. And, of course, I'll kick back with the creator and ask Greg my fun questions I ask all my guests. And now for the usual business, you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Creator Talks Pod. That's at Creator Talks Pod. On the weekends, I post my Saturday Silver Age and Sunday Bronze Age comics from my personal collection. The podcast Creator Talks is free and is available every Thursday on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, YouTube, Amazon Smart Speakers, and now on Spotify. Hey kids, young and old, keep reading comics. I want to thank my sponsor, The Comic Book Shop in Wilmington, Delaware on Marsh Road, where comics are for everyone, just be nice. And be nice to each other. Enjoy reading your comics this week. For Creator Talks, this has been Christopher Calloway. Until next time. <laughs>